If you have a, uh, if you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, and we will continue to walk through the Lord's Prayer this afternoon, thinking on the fifth uh, petition. And so that means we have one more week in this series through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I pray that these next two sermons will be helpful. Let's, uh, let's begin by reading Matthew 6. Uh, and we're going to read a couple of extra verses this afternoon. We have been reading the Lord's Prayer together. Um, but I also want us to read verses 14 and 15. They are, um, as it were, a comment on the Lord's Prayer. And they relate specifically to forgiveness. So they are not words that we typically pray when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, but they are uh, related to it, obviously, in a, in a commentary on what Jesus says here. So if you have the ESV version, that's the version we'll be reading. If not, on the front of your bulletin there um, is the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, along with verses 14 and 15. So let's read all of those verses together. Jesus begins in Matthew 6, and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What do you do when someone sins against you? What do you do when someone hurts you or harms you? Maybe they say something unkind to your face. Or maybe they spread a rumor about you behind your back. Some of us have had things stolen from us. Or maybe you've been physically hurt by another person. Others have been, have been bullied or misrepresented or, or lied to. There are innumerable ways that we are hurt by and that we hurt other people. It's going to happen in life. So what do you do when someone sins against you? One way to respond is to ignore what has happened. We sometimes strive to act as if what was done doesn't really hurt us. We tell everyone it's, it's no big deal. We tell um, ourselves that the best way to deal with pain and hurt caused by others is to sort of just suppress it and minimize it until it disappears. But the problem is that it never really does disappear. And yet we still try, probably because of fear, or maybe because confrontation is often shunned in our society and standards of right and wrong are, are vague. N.T. Wright, commenting on this petition of the Lord's Prayer, says this, Instead of forgiveness, our generation has been taught the vague notion of tolerance. That is this is, at best, a low-grade parody of forgiveness. At worst, it's a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. But again, sweeping something under the rug only hides it from sight. 
the dirt is still there. And the dirt often festers into bitterness and resentment in our hearts. Which takes us to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, from ignoring the sins of others that hurt us to actively seeking revenge. That, that underlying bitterness could in fact be a form of revenge as it morphs in, in subtle or subconscious ways of hurting those who hurt us. But some revenge is, is overt and it's conscious. We have been hurt, so we seek to hurt others. Our employer treats us badly, so we find ways to get back at them. Our spouse sins, so we hurt them and we harm them with our words and actions. A friend harms us, so we shatter their reputation through gossip. We convince ourselves that that's all justified, but it really is just revenge and retaliation, plain and simple. In our current cultural climate, a popular method of, of revenge is to seek to cancel those who fail. Have you heard of this cancel culture that we live in? That is, we withdraw any support from a person or a company because of their past or their present failures and sins. We... We show ourselves to be a, a generation that knows how to dig up dirt, but has little ability to lay down our weapons. We know how to publicly shame people. We're really good at that. But we have very little skill in humbly repenting and seeking forgiveness, let alone granting forgiveness. Revenge is sometimes called payback. You heard that term? I'm going to pay someone back for what they have done to me. Therefore, the, the opposite of revenge is to choose to not pay back someone for the ways that they have wronged us, to not make them pay the debt for their sin. And that leads us into another way of dealing with the hurts we cause and those that are caused to us, and it's the way of forgiveness. And this is what Jesus calls his followers to when he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we hear the word debt, if you're like me, that we usually think primarily about financial debt, whether it's money that we owe someone for a house or for a, a car or money that someone owes us for a small loan that we've given them. This fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is not about forgiving financial debt. However, um, however uh, money and financial debt is a, is a very helpful illustration it was the one used by Jesus in Matthew 18 that we read earlier, which describes a man being forgiven a massive debt who then refuses to forgive a smaller debt that's owed to him. Like the people in that parable, if, if we owe someone money, we are indebted to them and we have to strive to pay them back the money that we have borrowed or else pay the consequences for, for, doing, for, for failing to, to pay them back. The only option besides paying back the debt or going to jail, besides paying back the debt or going to jail, is for have, to have that person just forgive us of the debt, to release us from having to pay what we rightly owe them. If you've ever been in debt, you know how that feels, to, to feel that you owe someone, that, that you are a, a slave to someone else and to give them your money. And if you've ever been forgiven a debt, then you know the joy of that, of being released of something that you owe. Tim Keller connects the dots for us in an article that I sent out the past couple weeks. I have a couple copies in the foyer if you'd like one. He writes this, When speaking of forgiveness, Jesus uses the image of debts to describe the nature of sins. 
When someone seriously wrongs you, there is an absolutely unavoidable sense that the wrongdoer owes you. The wrong has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. Anyone who has been wronged feels a compulsion to make the other person pay down that debt. We do that by hurting them, yelling at them, making them feel bad in some way, or just waiting and watching and hoping that something bad happens to them. Only after we see them suffer in some commensurate way do we sense that the debt has been paid and the sense of obligation is gone. This sense of debt and obligation is impossible to escape. Anyone who denies it exists has simply not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. Keller then says, what then is forgiveness? Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. Forgiveness is giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. And then Keller says, but it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. So, so to forgive someone is to choose to not seek repayment. It's to let go of the right to punish or to harm the person who has harmed you. It's to release them from their debt and absorb the cost yourself. Which means that to ask someone to forgive you begins with acknowledging that you have harmed them and that there is a debt that rightfully needs to be paid. And then we ask the person to release us from that debt. On the other side, to, to forgive another person is to absorb the debt that is owed to us, choosing not to make them pay as we abstain from revenge and from gossip and from bitterness and the like. The more we look at what forgiveness is, the more we can agree with the saying that to err is human, but to forgive is divine. We all sin and hurt one another. That's simply being human. But if we're going to truly forgive and be forgiven, it's going to take an act of God in our hearts. If you've listened to the, the soundtrack or seen the musical for Hamilton, then you know that one of the most powerful lines in the over 20,000 words that are in that whole musical occurs when the chorus simply sings these words. They say, forgiveness. Can you imagine? Throughout the, the second half of the musical, you witness the ruin that sin can cause. And in that small moment, you're struck by the power and even the divinity that's at the heart of forgiving someone else. We could say more about what forgiveness is and how we seek it, but as we focus on this fifth petition, let's consider exactly what we're asking for when we say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What are we asking God to give us in this petition? Three things. First, forgiveness for our sins against God. We're asking that God would forgive us for our sins against him. Our prayers are directed to our Father, and so when we pray, forgive us our debts, we are recognizing that all our sins at their root are against God. All sin is against God, the creator and the ruler over all. And for the follower of Jesus, all sin is also against our heavenly father. I recently saw a video of a political leader who said that when it came to forgiveness, he left God out of the picture and he simply tried to make things right on his own. Many in our day also see no, no need for God to have any say on what's right or what's wrong in their so-called personal lives. But the problem with that kind of logic is that it fails to recognize that all sin is a breaking of God's law. And therefore, 
an offense against him. That's why David says in Psalm 51, after he uses his power to violate Bathsheba and then his power to, to kill her husband Uriah, he prays, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, of course, we all know that David had sinned against Bathsheba. He'd sinned against Uriah. He'd sinned against the entire nation of Israel. But at the root, his sin was against God. He failed to trust God's ways and seek God's glory and keep God's law. And therefore, he needed to ask God to forgive him. It becomes clear that to speak of forgiveness, we must also speak about repentance, about owning up to and admitting our sin. And true repentance engages our minds and our hearts and our wills. In our mind, we, we see and we understand that we have broken God's law. We've rejected his rule over us. In our hearts, we, we hate the sin that we've committed and the harm that it's caused others and the breaking of relationship that it's created between us and the Father. And with our wills, we, we desire to turn from the path of sin and to walk in the way of righteousness. And when we repent in this way, when we, when we turn every part of our being from sin to the Father, we're, we're able to ask God to forgive us. We come in humility and ask him to not hold our sin against us, not to enact his just vengeance and wrath on us. In repenting and asking God for forgiveness, though, we're not asking him to sweep our sins under the rug. And in fact, God in his perfect righteousness and justice cannot simply say to us, as we try to say to others what sometimes, we, we, we just try to say it's, it's no big deal. Let's just pretend this never happened. That's not how God forgives, and that's not forgiveness. Because it is a big deal. And the debt for our sin needs to be paid for. And in the beauty of the gospel message, God forgives us by absorbing the just punishment of our sin. Forgiveness of any kind is possible because Jesus lived a life of perfection, never needing to ask forgiveness for his own sins. And therefore, he was able to take upon himself the sins of the whole world. And having taken on your sin and my sin, he died in our place to purchase our redemption. The cross is the price of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is ours through repentance and faith. Forgiveness is not earned. It's asked for. And it's freely granted, but only because of the suffering and the death of the Son of God. Let me say to all of you, young and old alike, that Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins. Repent and believe so that you can become a member of God's family and know the blessing of his forgiveness and of being his child for all eternity. Repentance and faith are how we become a part of God's family, and they're also the rhythm of life that reveals that we are his children. The prayer for daily bread, the, the fourth petition, reveals that the Lord's Prayer, whether in exact words or just in content, is one that we're supposed to pray every day. This prayer reminds us that we are in constant need of God's forgiveness as we deal with our indwelling sin in the midst of this world that rebels against God. Our daily sins don't remove us from God's family, but they require that we seek cleansing and restoration and that comes from daily confession. And today as we, we come to the Lord's table for the first time in a long time, we're reminded that, that we must make every effort to be right with the Father and to be right with one another before we take up the bread and the cup. So this petition asks, do you, do you practice daily confession of sins? 
Do you take confession before the Lord's Supper seriously? These are humbling things, but they are also glorious. It's glorious to be reminded daily and every time that we take the Lord's Supper together that it's because of God's love displayed on the cross that we can be made right with our Father. These, these rhythms of confession and forgiveness are reminders that, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. Thank you, Father, for the gift of confession and thank you for the grace of the cross, Jesus, that forgives us. I want to note here that there's another discussion to have. It's about the, corporate, the, need, the idea of corporate confession. We are praying, Father, forgive us our sins. I think it's a pertinent discussion that relates to sins like racism that are not only latent or prominent in our own individual hearts, but also permeate history and, and culture that we live in. But I just want to say that's a discussion for another time. I want to mention it here, not to open a can of worms, but so that you can hold me accountable that we need to talk about corporate sin and corporate confession. It's something that needs to be discussed from the scriptures. But for now, just see that in praying this prayer, we're asking for forgiveness for our sins against God. But as with much of the Sermon on the Mount, we're not just concerned with our vertical relationship with God. We're concerned with our horizontal relationships with one another. So we see that in praying this prayer, we're also asking for forgiveness for our sins against others. Not just my sins against God, but I'm asking for forgiveness for my sins against others. Just as all sin is against God, we could also say that all sin is against others. That there's no such thing as victimless sin. We, we like to think that some of our private sins have no effect on others. But we're all in interconnected relationships. And while we may not always need to seek forgiveness from others for, our, for all of our sins, all of our sin hurts and harms others. This ties into that discussion on corporate sin and corporate confession that we'll have later. But I think we're all seeing this in our current day, right? In large and small ways, we've come to realize how connected we are to one another. Our smallest decisions have far-reaching effects on people that we know and on people that we may never meet. As we daily ask God for forgiveness, we are forced to face our sins against others. We're forced to face the broken relationships in our lives. Which means, while this prayer is one that we would probably begin praying in our closet, it's one that's going to get us out of our closet and into conversations with others as our confession to God compels and drives us to consider who we need to seek forgiveness from. I don't know about you, but I think confession to others is often a lot more difficult than confession to God. We can readily admit to our Heavenly Father how we've, we've hurt others, but we struggle to ask those we have hurt to forgive us. And so to pray this prayer is, a, is dangerous because it's going to reveal our hearts if we pray it with sincerity. And it will leave us without excuse when it comes to the sins that we've committed against others and, and to the broken relationships that we're aware of. These, these words of Jesus, the prompting of the Spirit, are they're going to drive us to be peacemakers like our Father in heaven. And we know that as the peacemaking of the Father was costly, so too 
our peacemaking will be costly. But if you think that's hard, it gets even harder. Because the most challenging part of this petition comes in that second phrase, as well as the additional instruction from verses 14 and 15. And there we find our, our third thought that, that we're, we're praying for a forgiving spirit towards those who have sinned against us. We're praying that God would give us a forgiving spirit towards those who have sinned against us. So we need forgiveness from God. We need forgiveness for the sins that we've committed against others. And we need God to make us forgiving people. The, the, way that Jesus is, the, the way that Jesus words this petition, he tells us to ask that God would forgive us in the same manner that we have forgiven others. The tense is interesting, isn't it? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It assumes that we already have forgiven. I tell my kids that when we're having ice cream, that they want me to be the one that scoops their ice cream because I'm going to give them the amount of ice cream that I want because I, I dish out the amount that I want to receive. I don't like when people are stingy when they're giving me ice cream, especially if I'm paying by the scoop. I want them to make it a big scoop. And when I, when I give my kids ice cream, I, I say, well, let's just have a, a little bit more. I mean, everybody loves a little bit more ice cream. And I hope that my kids find me to be generous, not just in the way that I give out ice cream, but also in the way that I would forgive others. And not only because I want them to learn to, to walk in the way of forgiveness, but also because of the, the indirect and the direct warnings in this passage. The indirect warning is in that request of verse 12, we ask God to forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. That, that second phrase causes us to say, what if God forgives me the way that I forgive people who sin against me. What would that look like? Maybe it would only come after a long session of the silent treatment, and then God's forgiveness would come. Or maybe there, it would come, but with a little bit of a lecture about just how sorry we should be for the things that we've done. Or maybe it would come after many, many years. Or maybe it would never come. But maybe, maybe our forgiveness would look like the forgiveness of the father in Luke 15 who ran down the road to embrace his son and then hardly let him speak before restoring him to a right relationship and showering him with blessings. Maybe it would look like Jesus who suffered for others and then sympathetically cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. None of us are perfect in forgiving others but the follower of Jesus needs to be growing to look more and more like him. The direct warning of verses 14 and 15 drives home the seriousness of what failing to forgive others will lead to. In no uncertain terms, Jesus tells us that if we forgive others, we will be forgiven. But if we refuse to forgive, God will not forgive us. What does that mean? John Stott's helpful. He says, this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. So reading that and, and thinking about our passage from Matthew 18, we can conclude that that, that unforgiving servant was not truly penitent towards his master. 
because of the way that he was unforgiving towards the one who owed him a small debt. And we too, if we are unforgiving, we reveal that we have failed to reckon with the depth of our own sin and with the greatness of the forgiveness that we have through Christ. We show that we are more self-centered than cross-centered or Christ-centered. We're like Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7. I encourage you to read the end of Luke 7, maybe this, this evening around the dinner table. We're like Simon the Pharisee who chastised, chastised Jesus for allowing a sinful woman to wash his feet. But what we find is that Simon had failed to reckon with his own sinfulness and somehow thought that he was better than this woman. He, his inflated view of himself and his, his shallow understanding of his own sinfulness kept him from loving God and from loving others. And so after a, a rebuke, Jesus responded to Simon by saying this, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Whether we admit it or not, we have all sinned much. And to the degree that we understand our own sin and the greatness of God's forgiveness, to that degree we will forgive and love others. And if we hold grudges and we harbor resentment, we reveal that in fact we have not truly experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Forgiveness is in short supply in our world, but it's supposed to be a hallmark of the kingdom of God. And we who are Christians are called to uniquely represent the new kingdom by walking in the way of forgiveness. In fact, as Christians, we are uniquely equipped to walk in the way of forgiveness because of Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we are given an example of forgiveness and we are given the power to forgive. We see the, the grace of Jesus towards all people. We see in Jesus' death that the hurt caused to us is, is taken seriously and it must be paid for either by Christ or in the final judgment. We see hope for all people to be made one through faith in Jesus. And we're given Christ's Spirit who empowers us to truly forgive. The Lord's Prayer invites us to remember that we are sinners. We are sinners in constant need of forgiveness. This prayer humbles us. But it also leads us to a place of knowing the forgiveness of the Father. And it drives us to seek forgiveness from others as we freely forgive those who have sinned against us. That's what the Lord's Prayer does. You know, the, the Lord's Supper functions in much the same way, doesn't it? As we come to the table, we are forced to reckon with the fact that we have sinned and that our sin is why Jesus' body was broken and why his blood was shed. We're called to consider our relationships with others and we're to consider the ways that sin has, has broken those relationships. And then we're reminded that Jesus paid for all of this and he offers us forgiveness if we would repent and believe. If you have repented of your sins and placed your only hope of salvation in Jesus, then I want to invite you to take this meal with us. We as a church also ask that you have been baptized, not because baptism is necessary for salvation, but because it's the first step of obedience for all followers of Jesus and it opens the door to this continual act of commitment to Christ.
And so we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. And if, if those things are true of you, then I invite you to take uh, this meal with us. If not, just please let it pass. Um, Trevor and Joshua are, going to, Joshua are going to come and pass the bread and the cup in a, in a moment. But let's take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts. And then I will lead us um, in prayer. But let's just take a brief moment of silence as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper together. Father, as we take this meal together, we are reminded as we will sing in a few moments that our sins are many, but your mercy is more. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness you offer us in Christ. And we pray that you would make us a forgiving people. We pray even in this act of taking the Lord's Supper together that you would soften our, soften our hearts and make us those that would willingly and quickly forgive, that we would show grace as you have shown grace to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.